0: let's set it up for scene one here. Hezekiah has opened the door of the temple. His dad had shut it. He comes in. He opens it. He calls the priests and the Levites back in to perform their, their services in the temple of the Lord. They offer sacrifices for the first time in a long time. It's an incredibly wonderful, joyful time of worship, but they are not done. So let's see what happens here in C1, 2 Chronicles chapter 30. If you don't have your Bible, I encourage you to grab the Pew Bible there and you can turn to about page 337. I'd love for you to read along with me as we read through 2 Chronicles chapter 30. Now Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh. "...that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month, since they could not celebrate it at that time, because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient numbers, nor had the people been gathered to Jerusalem. Thus the thing was right in the sight of the king and all the assembly." So they established a decree to circulate a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba even to Dan that they should come to celebrate the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem for they had not celebrated it in great numbers as it was prescribed. So they draft this letter. The king gets this letter. He's going to send it out into Israel and Judah. So the northern kingdom is represented here. And the southern kingdom. You know how we've talked about 2 Chronicles being addressed to the southern, about the southern kingdom. Well, we've got this northern kingdom that's been wiped out by Assyria. So they no longer exist as a northern kingdom. They've been overtaken by Assyria. But there's still remnants of people in the north. And because Hezekiah is king over Israel, he has now brought the northern kingdom, what's left of it, under his reign by sending out this letter both to the north and the south. And the letter is an invitation to the people to come and celebrate Passover. Passover is the celebration that God prescribed to His people for celebrating the deliverance of God, specifically God's deliverance of His people Israel from Egypt. Now the Passover, that word, that name, comes from the fact that God told His people If you'll sacrifice a lamb and you take the blood of that lamb and you spread it across your door, when I come in to bring judgment on Egypt and wipe out the firstborn in Egypt, if you've put the blood of the lamb on the door, I will pass over your house and spare you. And through this, I will deliver you from Egypt and slavery and you will be my people and you will come and you will worship me and I will use you to be a light to the world. And so he says, I want you to celebrate my deliverance every year on the first month of the year on the 14th day. And so that's what God has told his people to do. Well, you notice here that the letter is going out late it's past the first month, 14th day. We're into the, the second month. See, things weren't right in Judah. They didn't have it all together. And yet they're going forward with issuing this letter to all of Judah, inviting them, all of Israel, to come and celebrate God's Passover. So the couriers of the king go out into the nation to share the invitation of the king. Let's look at verse 6. The couriers went out throughout all Israel and Judah with the letters from the hand of the king and his princes, even according to the command of the king, saying, "Here's what the contents of the letter, O sons of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to those of you who escaped and are left from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were unfaithful to the Lord God of their fathers, so that He made them a horror as you see. Now do not stiffen your neck like your father's, but yield to the Lord. Another way to translate that word yield is give your hand. Open your hand to the Lord. Give your hand to the Lord. So give your hand to the Lord and enter His sanctuary, which He has consecrated forever. And serve the Lord your God, that His burning anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your sons will find compassion before those who led them captive and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate and will not turn His face away from you if you return to Him. So the couriers passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn. Nevertheless, some men of Asher, Manasseh and Zebulun, humbled themselves, came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also on all those in Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. So the letter goes out, an invitation from the king to come and celebrate God's deliverance. The king was asking the people, Will you come to Jerusalem and will you just give your hand to the Lord? If you just come and you give your hand to the Lord, you'll yield to the Lord. God will not turn his face away from you. You've seen what he's done in response to the sin of our fathers. And I'm asking you to come and celebrate the God who delivers. And if you will yield to the Lord, if you will give Him your hand, He will not turn His face away from you. Will you come? It's an invitation from the King to come and receive the compassionate grace of God. I want you to remember a couple of things this morning. Because you have read scene one. First of all, I want you to remember that time in your life. See, most of you have come here this morning because there was a time in your life when you heard the invitation of a king. And Jesus spoke to your heart because a letter was written and you heard his words and you responded to his invitation. And I want you to remember that moment. That time in your life when you heard the invitation of Of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, to turn your heart to the Lord. See, God wrote the letter and he sent the King himself with the invitation. Jesus said things like this Come to me, all you who are weary. And heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For I am humble and gentle in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst John 6:35 He says I am the resurrection and the life everyone who believes in me and lives will not die and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die John 11:25 He who hears my words and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. John 5, 24. The invitation has been given. And so many of you are here today because you responded. And when you gave your hand to the Lord, you experienced His gracious, compassionate forgiveness. I want you to remember that moment. The second thing I want you to remember this morning is the fact that we have people from our church family all over the world this week who are God's couriers, And they have been sent out with the invitation of the King. There are some college students, as Kurt said earlier, that are going to be in Florida carrying the invitation of King Jesus, offering a chance to respond to his gracious, compassionate forgiveness. And I suspect as they interact with spring breakers celebrating all sorts of depravity, that they will experience some laughter, mocking, and scorning. So we need to be praying that God's hand would be on them. Because some will respond, and we need those students to be bold to share Christ. We need to pray for them. We've got a whole nother group that's in Uganda, and we need to pray for them that God's hand would be on them as they offer the invitation of the gospel. We've got a bunch of these students here and some adults that are going on a ski trip, and they're going to be challenged throughout the trip to consider that God's going to create some divine appointments to extend the invitation of the King. And man, I would love it if our students came back from this trip and they are able to say, I shared the gospel with somebody on this trip. Wouldn't that be awesome? We want to pray that God's hand would be on these students and these adults to recognize that, that vehicles for sharing the invitation of Christ are everything we're doing in life. And we need to pray for them that they would would be living that way. And and I'd ask you to pray for me as I go, that God would give me opportunity to share the invitation. And as you pray that God's hand would be on those of us who are going out into the world, and you remember your own response to the invitation, you should also be asking that God's hand would be on you. Because some of you are going to go about working this week. It's no spring break for you. Some of you are going to do some different things this week because it is spring break for you. We're going to be in all kinds of different places and all kinds of scenarios around our community. And guess what? You are a courier. And you have an invitation to offer. And I just ask that you would consider this morning praying that God's hand would be on you and those who hear in your life. We need our world to see the compassion and grace of God, and He has commissioned the church to be His couriers. And I just want to spend a couple minutes this morning praying. For all these things. So you find somebody around you. Gather in prayer. And you begin to cry to the Lord. That, that all those that have gone out be faithful. And us that have remained will be faithful. And we be couriers taking the message. That we have responded to. To a world that is yet to respond. Let, let's just spend some time praying this morning. Let's pray. Scene 2. Verse 13 of chapter 30. Now, many people were gathered at Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month, a very large assembly. Don't let that confuse you. We're still talking about the same thing. Feast of the Unleavened Bread is in conjunction with the Passover, all right? Verse 14, they arose, removed the altars which were in Jerusalem. They also removed all the incense altars, cast them into the brook Kidron. Now, they're removing the altars they have to do with idolatry. In Jerusalem. So they're cleaning out idolatry from Jerusalem so they can worship God and worship Him alone. Verse 15, Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th of the second month. Now, there, is a, there is a provision in the law that says you can offer the Passover on the 14th day of the second month, which is one month late. It's supposed to be the first month, 14th day. And the provision is, if you have come in contact with a corpse or you are running behind because of travel delays, you can do this one month later. Now notice that nothing in 2 Chronicles gives them the ability to claim that allowance. They are coming in the second month on the 14th day and they are not right. So they are not coming at the right time or in the right way. There's nothing right about the way they're going about the Passover. Passover. And you can see that even with the priests. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed. They weren't ready. They were ashamed of themselves and consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They stood their stations after their custom, according to the law of God, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they had received from the hand of the Levites, for there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Therefore the Levites were over the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was unclean. In order to consecrate them to the Lord, for a multitude of the people, even many from Ephraim and Manasseh, Isaacchar and Zebulun, had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than prescribed. So in other words, they're all a mess. nobody's got it together. They are coming in every way wrong you can imagine, and yet they're pressing forward to celebrate the Passover together. And look what Hezekiah does. For Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, "May the good Lord pardon." "...everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary." So Hezekiah prays and he says, "...God, we are wrong, we can't get it right, we've messed it up, there's no way we can fix what we've messed up, but I'm asking you to pardon or to cover over our sins, to atone for our sins so that we can still come and worship you." We're just asking that you would cover over what we've done wrong because we set our hearts to seek you. Will you pardon our sin so we can worship you? And look how God answers. So the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Think with me for a second. The chronicler tells us that the people of God humble themselves. The chronicler tells us the people of God turn from their wicked ways. The chronicler tells us that they're calling out on the Lord. And the chronicler tells us that God heals the people. Do you remember that promise in 2 Chronicles 7:14? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. They're experiencing God's grace and compassion in an unbelievable way. And God has healed them. Not of physical problems. He's healed the most significant problem they have. They are sinful. And there's nothing they can do to fix it. God just has to decide to cover over their sins. And that's exactly what he does. He heals them. Look what happens. Verse 22. Verse 21. The sons of Israel p- present in Jerusalem celebrated. Check out the verbiage here. Listen to the tone of this text. The sons of Israel present in Jerusalem celebrated the feast of the unleavened bread for seven days with great joy. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day after day with loud instruments to the Lord. In case any of you are wondering, loud instruments is biblical. <coughs> Kurt has that highlighted in his Bible. So they praised the Lord, David with loud instruments to the Lord. Then Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good insight... In the things of the Lord, so they ate for the appointed seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord, the God of their fathers. Then the whole assembly decided to celebrate the feast another seven days. Seven days was enough. They doubled the time, and they celebrated the seven days with joy. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, contributed to the assembly of 1,000 bulls, 7,000 sheep, and the princes had contributed to the assembly of 1,000 bulls and 10,000 sheep, and a large number of priests consecrated themselves. All the assembly of Judah rejoiced. With the priests and the Levites and all the assembly that came from Israel, both the sojourner who came from the land of Israel and those living in Judah. So there was great joy in Jerusalem because there was nothing like this in Jerusalem since the days of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Then the Levitical priests arose. They blessed the people. Their voice was heard and their prayer came to God's holy dwelling place, to heaven. Incredible. Joyful worship. When God's people recognize that they are a forgiven people, they are always, therefore, a joyful people. Forgiven people are joyful people. And it always begins with the heart. That's how it is for you and me. It begins with the heart. In Romans chapter 6, it talks about obedience from the heart. Romans chapter 9 talks about believing with your heart unto salvation, believing with your heart for righteousness. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22 says, you can draw near to the Lord with a sincere heart. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 says, sanctify in your hearts Christ as Lord. It all begins with the heart. Turning your heart to seek the Lord. When you turn your heart to seek the Lord, you recognize in that moment the gracious, compassionate forgiveness of God to cover over your sins and to say to you, your life and your worship is acceptable to me. We're no different than the people in the Chronicles. They came before God to celebrate God's deliverance in the Passover. And they did it in the wrong way on the wrong day. Nothing was right. And I just got to break maybe some hard news to you. You've come into this place today to worship the Lord. But I just want to tell you, we're all all wrong. Every one of us is wrong. Every one of us is imperfect. I suspect there were a number of you during our prayer time that were completely distracted. Show of hands, anyone? (laughs) We are wrong. There's nothing we can do to make this thing right. We cannot come to the Lord and worship Him perfectly. I guarantee you that every one of us in this room, this last week, has sinned grossly before the Lord. There's not a one who has walked in purity. There's not a one who has walked in perfection. In and of ourselves, we have come into this place a mess, and we cannot fix it. We're just like them. But if we've set our heart to seek the Lord, you know what's going to happen? God's going to remind every one of us, I've covered over your sin. And I've pardoned you. And I've atoned for you. So that when you trusted in my King, King Jesus, his blood washed all your sin away so that now when you come before me, though you are not right, I have made you acceptable by my gift. You can worship me. I've forgiven you. He's forgiven us. And forgiven people are incredibly joyful. Joyful. Last Sunday, I had a man come up to me. He's going on a project Thailand trip, and he said, "Man, I'm 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 not coming together with the money. I don't have it. I don't know what's going to happen." You told me to come and tell you about it. Here I am. I'm coming to tell you. This was my response. Okay, thanks. And I walked off. That's pretty much all I did. No consolation. No help. No, it'll be okay. I just walked off. You know, I had other things going on, and so he's left with that. That's all he gets. And so we go to Wednesday, and on Wednesday, uh, the office gets a phone call and. The office is told that an anonymous giver has paid this gentleman's way in full. So I'm like, man, this is awesome. I can't believe this. He just told me Sunday. He's worried about it. God had it under control. He took care of it. This is going to be great. We got our Project Thailand meeting tonight, and we get to celebrate this. We're going to have some share time. I can't wait to get there. So I get there, and I say, anybody have any praise reports? A couple people said they did, and this guy didn't say anything. And I'm kind of looking at him, giving him not-so-subtle hints that he should have something to say, and he's nothing. You can see he's getting a little nervous by the fact that I'm stressing the fact that he, has, he should have something to say, and he has nothing to say. And so at that point, I realize, this guy doesn't know. <laughs> and so I say, well, you might like to know that your way has been paid in full. And again, he is now speechless. He can't say anything again. And it was an incredible time of joy. It was awesome because here's a guy who has a debt. $2,300 just for the plane ticket. He didn't see how it's going to happen. Comes to me at the Sunday before, I don't know how it's going to happen. And somebody pays his debt in full. That's joyful. Now think about your sin. We, we have a debt of sin in our lives that we cannot pay. But it's more than that. Think think with me on this, okay? As you live your life every day till the day you die, all you can do with your debt of sin is contribute to it. That's it. You, You can do some good things, you can do some great things, you can do some nice things, but you know what? Whatever you do that you might think and I might think is righteous, good, and beneficial for God's world and God's glory, everything that we might be doing does not diminish the debt of our sin. We don't do good things and have our debt go down. No, everything we do makes our debt go up. There's nothing we do that minimizes the debt of our sin. All we do for the rest of our lives is increase our debt. And what God has said to us through Jesus Christ is, I have paid your increasing debt in full forever. You're forgiven and your life is acceptable to me. When we get that, when we see that, I mean, isn't it joyful? I mean, isn't it joyful? That's why they sang, they played loud instruments, they went crazy for two weeks because they were a forgiven people. And a forgiven people is a joyful people. And and what I want us to do in the next few minutes is just have opportunity to express some joy. If you have heard the invitation of Jesus Christ and if you respond to that invitation and He's poured out His gracious, compassionate forgiveness on you and your ever-increasing debt of sin has been erased in the blood of Jesus Christ, I think we ought to say something joyful this morning. I think we ought to sing in a joyful way and express that. And so let's just stand together and let's sing joyfully to the Lord. Let's look at scene 3, chapter 31. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah, broke the pillars in pieces, cut down the ashram, pulled down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin, as well as Ephraim and Manasseh, until they destroyed them all. Then all the sons of Israel returned to their cities, each to his possession. And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites by their divisions according to His service, both the priests and the Levites, for burnt offerings, for peace offerings, to minister and to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. He also appointed the king's portion of his goods for the burnt offerings, namely for the morning and evening burnt offerings and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and for the new moons and for the fixed festivals as it is written in the law of the Lord. And he also commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites, that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order spread, the sons of Israel provided in abundance the first fruits of grain, new wine, oil, honey, and all the produce of the field. They brought in abundantly the tithe of all. The sons of Israel... And Judah, who lived in the cities of Judah, also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep and the tithe of sacred gifts, which were consecrated to the Lord their God. And they placed them in heaps. In the third month, they began to make the heaps and finished them by the seventh month. When Hezekiah and the rulers came in and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zadok, said to him, Since the contributions began to be brought into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat with plenty left over. For the Lord has blessed his people, and this great quantity is left over. Then Hezekiah commanded them to prepare rooms in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. And they faithfully brought in the contributions and the tithes and the consecrated things. And They began to divide this stuff and make sure it's done according to the divisions of the priest. Now walk down to verse 20. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. And he did what was good, right and true before the Lord his God. Every work which he began in the service of the house of God in law and commandment. Seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. It all begins with our heart. And if we set our heart to seek God, we experience His forgiveness, His compassionate grace. And we experience His grace. We become a joyful people who seek to worship the Lord. And we gather like this on Sunday mornings to joyfully sing and praise God because of our deliverance, because of our forgiveness in Christ. And we leave this place, we leave this place of people who understand the invitation of the King The compassionate grace of God in our forgiveness. And then we understand what it means to belong to Him. And we leave this place a joyful people who have worshipped the Lord. We are to leave as a people who have set their life in a direction of continual change. We call that sanctification where God is able by His Spirit and His Word to make changes in us so that we reflect the glory of Christ so that His invitation might go out more effectively to our world through the church. Notice that when the people left Jerusalem, they went out into all the land, and what did they do? They destroyed the idols of the land. Everywhere they could find an idol, they destroyed it. Because they wanted to be a people who were continuing to give their hand to God. And so they are destroying everything that might cause them to hold on to something else instead of God. They were going out to destroy everything that would turn them away from God so that they might be a people who continued to walk in the ways of the Lord. Having God Demonstrate His grace through them every single day. What a great pattern for us to follow. We come into this place every single week of people who have responded to the invitation of Jesus. And we come in here and we celebrate His gracious, compassionate forgiveness. And when we leave this place, we ought to leave this place because of God's grace in us with a spiritual ambition to destroy everything in our lives that takes the place of God, that distracts us from being couriers for Him in our world, that keeps us from living lives that glorify Christ. We need to get rid of the idols in our lives, the things that are supplanting God and the worship of God every day. So I just, I just wonder, you know, as you think back on this last week, what, what idols in your life kind of crept back up and today. Having spent time in the presence of God, you would say, you know, that, that, that thing, that activity, that thought, that whatever, that needs to be fled from. That needs to be destroyed. That needs to be guarded against this week. I need to go out from this place and I need to deal with this idol in my life. How many of us would say this morning, God, I, I want you to... Show me if there's any area in my life I've been unaware of that is prone to idolatry, to serving other things instead of you, from distracting me away from seeking you and living my life for your glory. Would you just show me if there's anything in my life that needs to be changed, destroyed, fled, guarded against, whatever it is, I'm ready to follow you because you have accepted me. It's only appropriate when we come in and celebrate God and we joyfully worship Him, we sing all these incredible things about His deliverance that we leave here and live as a delivered people. So I encourage you to respond to the Lord in that way. And notice here in this passage, what gets the most emphasis is not the destruction of idols, but going back to your possession, what God has given you, and making sure that your possessions are in order. The king started it. He says, I'm going to get my possessions in order. And there are certain things that God has given me that I'm supposed to give back to God in order for the ministry in the house of the Lord to continue so that the people can continue to experience the grace of God. And he went back and he got his possessions in order he began to give out of his possessions to carry out the ministry in the temple. Then he gave the order to all the people. Get your possessions in order and make sure you're responding to what God has said and you're bringing into the house of the Lord what will continue the ministry of the Lord through his servants. And the people responded in incredible abundance. And they started to pile up heaps. I love that word heaps. This heap after heap after heap of abundance, more than they needed because the people of God who came into the presence of God and felt the joy of their forgiveness wanted to spend their lives and everything they had for the glory of God and the furtherance of the church. That, that's the message, the template that we have. The people of God who respond to the forgiveness of God with joyful worship and then yield their lives to the Lord to be sanctified by Spirit so that everything we are and everything we have might be spent for the glory of God. And there's much joy to be had when we get our lives following God's grace. I'm just praying that that pattern would characterize every single Sunday we meet. That we would come together. That we would respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ. That we would be joyful in forgiveness. And we will leave ready to make sure that everything in our lives that could keep us from Christ is not keeping us from Christ. And that we would, instead of holding on to our possessions, open our hand to God and let Him spend us for His glory. We have a real opportunity here at Southside as a church family to respond to a significant need in our church. You've heard me talk about the Impact Project. We're wanting to expand our nursery area so we can faithfully and effectively minister to our little guys, four years old and younger, We need to carry out this project as a church body. And what that means is that all of us have an opportunity to be involved in that project in some way, shape, or form. What I'm asking you to do in light of that opportunity is simply set your heart to seek the Lord. If you will do that, God will take care of enabling you to do all that He intends for you to do for our church family to pile up the heaps and to do what God's called us to do. When we first started thinking about laying this out and sharing this with you guys, I realized there's four months. We got four months for God to enable us to do this as a church body, and it kind of freaked me out a little bit until I read this chapter, and I recognized that they had about four months to pile up the heaps And I figured if God could do it once, he could do it again. And it all begins with our hearts. Just setting your heart to seek the Lord. I remember growing up in Amarillo in my youth group. And as a teenager, I can remember several times my youth pastor coming to me and saying things like this. Kevin, a family in the church has given me a gift certificate to this store to give to you because they want you to be able to go and buy you some new tennis shoes. I look down at my shoes and I'm like, what's wrong with a few holes in my shoes? What's wrong with it is that you can't afford a new pair because your family doesn't have the money. And somebody in this church loves you enough to give it to you. So go buy you some new shoes. I remember in a time he came up to me, he said, Kevin, I want you to know somebody in this, this church family loves you and cares for you, and they want um, you to know that your way to youth camp has been paid. Your way to this retreat has been paid. It happened over and over and over again. Generosity, of people in the church family providing a way for me to do what I otherwise could not have done. And our youth ministry had the coolest stuff. I mean, we had the coolest sound system and the coolest Meeting area. I mean it was the 80's. But it was cool. In the 80's. And, and, and somebody generously. And sacrificially gave. And I suspect that 30 years ago. When those people were giving. Whatever they gave. Whether it was small or great. In their minds. I doubt that 30 years ago. They could have imagined. That. 30 years Later you would be sitting here reaping part of the benefit of their gifts. Because I promise you, if not for my church family growing up, I don't know that I would be here. I I just want you to consider what you have an opportunity to be a part of. You can't imagine how your gift in response to the Lord might change a life forever. You need to think eternally. Don't think temporarily. Don't think about the sacrifice temporarily. Think about the eternal magnitude of taking part in what God is doing. 44 years ago, a man named Lonnie and a woman named Sandy they scraped together $1,200. That was a sacrifice in many ways for them. Young married couple getting together $1,200 in order to pay adoption fees. And today's money, that's 8000 bucks, which means I'm a cheap baby. I'm not telling you this to make much of me. I, I want you to hear this from eternal perspective, okay? If my dad knew then what he knows about me now, it wouldn't have mattered how much it cost. He'd have paid the price. Don't think temporarily. Think eternally. Whatever sacrifice it may feel like now, you have no idea how you will touch heaven if you will set your heart to seek the Lord and just respond to Him. I love chapter 30, verse 15 in 2 Chronicles. It says that the priests and the Levites were ashamed. See, God's hand was on the people and they were coming and they were offering sacrifices and the priests and Levites were like, oh my word, we're not ready for this. And they were ashamed. When I first shared with you guys Project Thailand, I told um, Kelsey, I feel like our church can commit for 25 people. I really think 25 people is realistic for us. He's like, well, the host church really needs to have about 40. And I'm like, well, I think we can commit for 25. And the whole trip needs to have about 70 volunteers to make this thing happen. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, if we get 70, it'll be a miracle. Total out of four churches. And if we get 25, that'll be our part of the miracle. I shared this with you guys, and I shared this is what we believe that our church should do. And today, we have 43 tickets purchased. And we're taking 43 from our body. And then we have 89 volunteers from four churches going to Thailand to do this. And I just want to tell you that I'm ashamed... God's hand is on that. Now here I've shared with you today what the elders believe that God is calling us to do as a church family. We believe God's calling us to raise $175,000 to make this nursery expansion thing happen. I didn't say $1.75 million. I said $175,000. But when you think about the fact that we've just given a ton of money to go to Thailand and now we've got this opportunity, it seems really big. And here's what I'm praying. God, would you shame me again? I just, and I just believe if we all set our hearts to seek the Lord, when it's all said and done and we look at all we've done, you know what we're going to say? God's hand was on us. And we've seen His gracious, compassionate, forgiveness and we've just let him do what he wants to do and it'll be a time of great joy see i don't want anybody to miss out on being a part of what god's doing in and through our church family here and in the world and so here's the opportunity that's before you today set your heart to seek the lord that's it